Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service, and thank God for the sunshine. Please turn to number 174, and we'll open with my, Open My Eyes That I May See. vacation this week, and we're honored to have Most Reverend Peter Anderson preaching for us today. Uh, good to see you. Uh, our call of worship today will be Psalm 130, if you could just turn uh, to that in your Bibles. Psalm 130. <clears throat> Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Uh, please turn your hymnals in, uh, which, which one is it again? I'm sorry. 16. Thank you. Oh, 
is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. Uh, If you would, just please be seated, and we are going to uh, just go to a congregational uh, prayer of confession. Uh, If you would, just take this out. Let's have a moment of silence, too, just to silently pray, uh, just for forgiveness, all things that we've done or not done, and then I will lead for this prayer of confession. Our Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and ignoring your immensity and greatness. 
Lord Jesus, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations in our small lives. Please say this with me. Holy Spirit, we offend you in minimizing your power and squandering your gifts. We confess that our blindness to your glory, O triune God, has resulted in shallow confession, tepid conviction, and only mild repentance. Have mercy on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, And just the assurance of pardon that God will call and forgive. He will forgive all those who come to him with a humble heart. Um, And please be seated, if you will. Uh, today I'm also going to be reading, uh, reading James chapter uh, 1, uh, and if you wouldn't just hear your Bibles, um, I'm actually going to be uh, really only preaching on the first uh, seven verses, um, but I still think it's very important that we just read the whole context if we could. All right, so James chapter 1. <clears throat> James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. Is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of of truth, so that we would become a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved, that let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sort of rank, growth, of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that is the power to save your soul. But be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror for they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what, they're, what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, or preserve, be not hearers, be not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in all they're doing. And if any of them, if any think that they are religious and do not bridle their own tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. 
religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to also uh, just see if there's any uh, prayer requests um, that I can uh, give to the Lord while I go into pastoral prayer. Um, any, anything that I need to pray, pray for? Um, what's up? Family. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Elin Lee. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and pray, if we would. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the Sabbath that you call us to rest. Thank you for your grace, uh, for offering us your yourself on the cross, Lord Jesus, so that we can have forgiveness. We thank you also for sending us your Holy Spirit so that he can illuminate us and encourage us and challenge us and comfort us with your presence. And Lord, we pray right now just to, in confession for all that we have done and not done before you. We pray with a confessing heart, a humble heart. We pray for a humble heart that we would receive your word meekly and not uh, try to fight against it. And we also just pray, Lord God, that uh, my words would be true and uh, faithful to what you have to say. Lord, I also just pray for family. I pray for our families, especially. Satan uh, loves to attack our family more than anything, often at times. And we pray that the enemy would keep us, would keep away from our family and that you would uh, put a hedge around our family uh, and protect us, protect it from harm. Uh, We also pray for Lee and just pray for his health. We also just pray for other uh, congregants here that you would please help them and that you would be fully, that they would be healed in every way. And Lord, we thank you also just for the prayer that you gave us, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we pray that in saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lend us the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We just want to praise God for his faithfulness. Uh, Turn to 17, great is thy faithfulness. Oh, 
so much. Uh, it was beautiful. Uh, so today we're going to be reading uh, from James chapter 1. Uh, thank you again for music, uh, for the music that we heard. Uh, such a delight to be here. Um, I know I always bring this up, but uh, I first came here when Lizzie was um, my youngest, or my oldest. She's 11. They're watching, I think, right now. So hi. Hello, kids. <laughs> my wife and the kids are watching. So, yeah, we, we were upstairs, and Lizzie was just this tiny little baby, and we, you know, she was in the car seat. Uh, it was over 11 years ago. So good to see all of you. But um, we're going to really be focusing on James, the first seven verses of James. I want to be focusing on that, even though I'll be go, going back and forth with some of the other um, uh, parts of uh, James as well. They're all kind of related. So what do you do when you have a trial or a temptation? Like, what's your reaction when something like that comes? Say for a a, a trial like death or cancer or um, maybe the passing of a friend uh, to some type of drug addiction. Uh, They're seeing seeing them go into uh, a maze of addiction. Or maybe your own temptations. What do you do when you face a temptation? Uh, it could be greed, it could be lust, it could be pride, it could be gossip, you name it, when you're faced with that. What's your, what's your emotion? If you're like most of us, you're, you're, you're probably wanting just to run away from it. You want to avoid it, you, or wanna, you, you want to maybe um, hide from it. Um, and James 
is, uh, he, he knows that. Um, in fact, whenever I think of possible diseases that I might get later in life, I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. Um, or if you look at temptations, the struggles of temptations that we may have, it's not something that we often look forward to. So that leads me to this passage because James is about to say some things that are very counterintuitive to when we're faced with these things, trials and temptations, that rather than um, hiding from them, he's going to say, I want you to have a sense of joy when you face them. Um, James wants us to have a sense of joy when we, when we come across these issues that can seem so difficult for us. Uh, he doesn't want us to run away from that. And not only that, but he also tells us that the testing of this faith, when he says faith, um, or, or the testing here, the testing is meant to produce some type of endurance in you, which is supposedly really good news, right? But it's, this thing is, is that it seems so hard for us, but it's not. It's simple. He says, all we do is that we ask God for this wisdom who gives to all basically without crumbling. He's going to give to you without complaining, which is good news. He gives freely. However, when you ask for this wisdom, James says, I want you to ask it without wavering, without doubting. We'll talk about what that means. What does that, does that mean that we never question, that we never doubt? Um, and so he, it seems like he's offering some prerequisites for those who receive this endurance or have this endurance. But the people that really can endure what he says in the first few chapters, first few verses, is that they need to ask. They need to ask for wisdom. Um, we must come with nothing. And we must realize that nothing has brought us to the table. And the only one that's really working for us is God, who is everything. And that's a good place to be because it leaves us at a place of curiosity. James is assuming that either you're in parts of two groups of people. Number one, people that have faced these trials, faced these temptations, and you're really, really tired. You're exhausted and you're about to give up. He's speaking to you. I don't know if you ever, and we've all probably been in that camp before. Um, And when we read the book of James, it can be very encouraging for us. It's like, just wait. It's okay. Be patient. Or you're in a different camp. Maybe you've, you, you haven't endured. You've given in to temptation. Um, you're exhausted, but you're at a place where you can't figure stuff out anymore. You're helpless. You're just, your wisdom has not worked out for you. And you're here because you're, I need, I need endurance because everything I've done has is, is just been, it's been to shambles. And so that's why the book of James sometimes can be a little harsh at times. That's the thing about James. It's so brilliant because whatever camp you're in, he's telling you, come and invite. You're invited. But you ha- you, he wants you to ask God from a place of true curiosity. So where are you going through? Whatever you're going through, this passage is for you. You've tried to be faithful. You haven't really seen the results. Maybe you've fallen into temptation. And now you need to understand why. Wherever you are, you're at the place where AA describes you to be, which is admit that your life is unmanageable. So my main idea in this passage is just going to be that the testing of your faith, every testing that comes to your faith, there's a purpose for it, and we need to hear that. And that purpose is endurance. Testing of faith creates endurance. That's great. That's kind of the motto that James is kind of telling us where we need to go, because we don't assume that naturally. The testing of faith produces endurance. And if there's one thing that I want you to get out of the sermon, it's just that. That is basically going to stem everything else on James. That's where he goes, that's where he kind of goes back to. But we get tired, 
and we see endurance, um, or when we, and, but not only that, when we have endurance, he wants us also to look at that not with like avoidance or running away. He wants us to look at those trials with a sense, not just of um, running away, but he wants us to have a sense of joy. That's a very interesting emotion. Because when you think about looking at that with a sense of joy, you're kind of now more in control, aren't you? Because you see it from the promises of God. That's what I mean by that. And so he wants us to wait for the storm to pass and endure. That's what he's asking us to do. And if you haven't, go to wisdom. God, I need wisdom. When you do, don't be back and forth with your asking, but ask in faith. That's pretty much where I'm going with that. The testing of faith creates endurance. So let's start with verse 1. Uh, James, a servant of God. We're going to look at the, the, who, who is James talking to here? Well, he's talking to the diaspora. And they're, they're, he's, the diaspora are um, the main group of people. And in my verse, verse we're going to look at the diaspora and also the need to reframe. The need to reframe to look at trials and temptations from a place of joy. So James says, the servant of God, the Lord Jesus, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion or the diaspora, greetings. When we look at the word tribe here, it's really a translation for a union formed in an organized community. I know that sounds very semantic, but really what it is, these are Jews. They're, 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 they're scattered about the land, but it's, it's people who are Jews. They've aligned themselves with Yahweh but they're not in the nation of Israel. That's who James is talking to. They've aligned themselves with the God of Israel, but they're not in Israel. They're exiles. The diaspora, that's the language he's using. He's talking to religious Jews in exile, people who believed in the, in the God of Israel through, through Christ, but they're in a godless society. So in other words, that can be reframed also for you right here, <laughs> right now. <laughs> if you're in a godless society, but you're not actually in the promised land, and we as Christians, we believe that we're, you know, that's where we're going. You are in the place where James is talking to. James is encouraging these exiles, though, to be um, godly in a very hostile land. Something that hits home for us. These 12 tribes refers to Jews and not mere, but you have to understand that these 12 tribes, are, it's not just a metaphor for Christians. It's actually two Jews. Um, and so not the Gentile Christians were excluded from reading it, but that the leader of the Messianic community in Jerusalem is addressing Jewish believers in the diaspora. And so he, what he's saying, he's really speaking to this religious community. In verse 2, he says, okay, what I want you to do, brothers and sisters, I want you to consider, I want you to consider every joy, or consider it every joy, my brothers, when you fall in with crafty trials. So right there, he wants them to have a different mindset. He goes right to on the attack, in a sense. He tells them to consider or think about having joy instead. So I want you to start, next time you're in a hazardous situation, I want you to, rather than running, I want you to go right in. <laughs> James is wanting them to think about having joy instead of caution when they meet a trial. These trials can be translated, though, as temptations. They can be also translated as tests. They could be sin or suffering. And these trials are also various, though. In other words, they come in very many different colors, and they're diverse in the way they approach or the way they come to us. 
So what he's saying here is that not only do I want you to have a different mindset, joy, but he also says there's going to be so many different um, temptations and trials that are come your way. I don't want you to be surprised. Those are two things. Because usually it's very difficult to have joy when you don't know what to expect, isn't it? So it's like almost like a double emotion that we really have a hard time understanding. Because we don't often think about trials and temptations with joy, but we also don't have joy when we look at all these various things that can surprise us at any time. Our natural emotion is probably to run or be highly suspicious, unpredictable. When you think of like attached kids, for example, or kids who grew up in homes that are highly unpredictable, I don't know when dad's going to be home. I don't know when mom's going to be home. They don't really experience joy per se. They experience what? Anxiety. What's going on? So James is kind of like, it's like he's asking us to do something that seems unhuman almost. What do you mean by that? Trials have to do with external attacks too. You know, that's the thing. We don't know when the trial may come. It could happen at just any moment. Um, It can surprise us. Temptations, on the other hand, can also surprise us because we don't ever know when that temptation may come as well. They're within, their lusts, their selfishness, their greed. But it surprises us because, again, going back on that emotion, when we come across something that's dangerous, joy is likely not the first emotion we have, and that's what he tells us to do. Which I think is why he's saying, I want you to consider that. Because he's telling you to do something, to think about something that you probably haven't thought of before. Um, he's telling us to see various trials as an opportunity for them to ask for wisdom later on. That's really what he's doing. Whoa, it's a new trial. Okay, I need wisdom here. (laughs) Whoa, it's a new temptation. It was not expecting pride when I get near 50, looking down upon people. I need wisdom here. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's there's a very attractive secretary. Whoa, I need wisdom here. (laughs) Joy. Whoa, my mom just got, or my spouse just got serious terminal illness and disease. Whoa, okay, I'm going to need wisdom here. That's what James is saying, various trials. The joy is not this kind of fake happiness, but God is the one that provides wisdom, and he's the one that can uh, uh, help us through these situations. And so psychological, psychologically, James is actually kind of spot on. Because here's the thing what I've realized about clients. People get better when they face their trials head on rather than avoiding them. Um, You're already away from Israel. You're going to face various trials. Stop trying to run from them. It's here. Can't we just admit that, yes, this is a hard world. This is a suffering world. Think about having joy when you face them. It's one of the things I've realized about Christians. Sometimes we get so uncomfortable when maybe our unbelieving friends and neighbors, they start talking to us about very dark things that they're going through. (gasps) Oh my gosh. (gasps) You know, we're surprised. (gasps) Oh my gosh. You know, why? (laughs) It's like, yep, I'm in it. (laughs) There's sin. I get it. I get it. You know, it's, I I get that quite a bit. Um, A lot of the hurt that's even been in the church is going through other Christians, going to other Christians when they're going through a very difficult time. We're the first ones that should just be brutally honest. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. I think that's what really James is getting at. But the second thing, too, is that evil is never predictable. 
I really want you to think about that is because these trials and temptations, we can't predict when they're going to come. The usual suspects, which is a movie that came out in the 90s, he said the greatest lie that the, devil ever, the, 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 that the devil ever told was convincing the world that he didn't exist. That's really true. But also, the greatest lie that people think of the, de- of the devil is that he uses the same strategies as he uses before. Y'all, trials and temptations are multicolored. They come in various ways. Various ways. Be less surprised. I guess that's what James is saying. It could come at any moment. I want to lead to the second thing, though, too. It tells us to reframe our emotions. He also tells us to have this purpose, to have a purpose of our trials. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith creates endurance. That's our main theme right here. The testing of your faith produces endurance. That's the purpose of these trials, of these trials, of these temptations. So why should we have joy? Well, he's assuming that where your head is going is that your reading is suggesting and you're not thinking that you could really do that. But when we consider it joy, we think of that because eventually when you go through this time, you will have more fortitude, believe it or not. If you win over these trials, you actually will be stronger. So there's this type of therapy called exposure therapy. And basically, it says, when you come to see me, if you have this, say, huge fear of snakes, it doesn't matter how much I talk to you and talk to you and talk to you and give you all this medication, you're never going to get over your fear of snakes. You just never will. Unless you do exposure therapy. And so what that is, is that you have to be exposed to the, to the perceived danger. You have to first, you sit, first session, you see the snake in the, in the cage, and you're freaking out but you realize you're, you're safe. Next thing you know, then you see that maybe the therapist touched the snake, pet it, everything's fine, everything's cool. <sighs> Freaking out, but okay, a little closer. And then third one, you might touch the snake at the very back and then you really quickly flip out and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know, I don't know. But eventually what you're doing, you're helping the client get used to kind of like petting the snake and then holding the snake and then next thing you know, uh, the snake's crawling all over him, all right? That's exposure therapy. It's the only way to alleviate any anxiety. That's it. Not talking about it. I've never noticed anybody that got taught, you know, got better talking about it for hours and hours. Oh, your mom might have like thrown a snake at you. Yeah, it was her. You know, I just like didn't really make them better. It wasn't until they actually faced their fear they were able to overcome it. Anybody here seen the movie Arachnophobia? The little spiders. That's exactly what they did. So all these, the whole cast was terrified of these giant tarantulas. And basically in the whole entire movie, you see all these people like having tarantulas all over them. How do they get the cast to do that? So what what James is saying here, that's how I want you to look at trials. Okay? But I want you to stand on the promises of God when you do that. Because the trials are going to come. And when they come, they're going to help you be more resistant the next time, and the next time, and the next time. I know that you don't, we all don't have our acts together. I get that. I get that. We're not perfect. <laughs> Come back to the drawing board. Come back to the table. It'll be better, and better, and better, and better. Next temptation, you stand stronger. Next trial, you don't just tell somebody, oh, get over it, they're in heaven now. You don't say that when somebody's in grieving, okay? And if you've ever grieved yourself, you know what that means. You cry with them. 
How many, how many of us were guilty of that in our younger years? Oh, cheer up, they're in heaven. And then we ourselves went through the loss of a loved one. My goodness, I will never say that to somebody. And what do we do? Somebody tells us bad news, we just cry with them. You see how you've gotten stronger? That's, what, that's the purpose of what temptations do, and we often forget that. So have joy, at least be joyous about that. But also, um, I want to move on because I have a lot of... <laughs> Because I'll go for two hours if I, you know me, I like to go for at least 30 minutes. But um, also the word here too, when he talks about patience, he says, Jews, of course, have a long tradition about testing. And, and when you think about Abraham, the prime example who passed the test, it's not like he did everything perfectly. He's also a prime example of failure as well. And so think of this more as like a refiner through gold, refining gold or silver, Um, The difficulties of life are attended by God really to do that, to refine our faith, heating it in the crucible of suffering so that all those impurities that kind of stick to us will just be refined away and will be more pure than before and more valuable. Really a beautiful metaphor of that. Number four, let endurance have its mature effect or let endurance do its job. In other words, get out of the way. Just let it do its job, (laughs) okay? So that you may be blameless and nothing. I love that because I think when we face trials and temptations, we try to intervene when we really shouldn't. That's how we get in trouble, especially with temptation. Because in the midst of temptation, the waiting is going to be very, very shorter. It's going to be very short. If you could just wait through the temptation, when you think of the immediate effects of lust or gossip, just so fast, it's so fleeting. But James is saying here, in the midst of that, just slow down. Let this moment pass. Let it pass. Consider it joy if you can endure that. It's different, though, with trials. Trials are a little different because they feel very short. Where did my son go? Where's my husband? He's gone. Where did all those years go? Um, where's my God? But it can actually be very long. It could seem it could be very long. But even here, James is saying, let the moment pass. Let grief do its work. Sit and know that this test will create a fortitude in you that will allow you to endure. What he's saying really here is that he wants you to be what? A witness. You see, it's not about you. It's about God working through you. And if you do, you'll be whole, lacking in nothing. Well, what does this mean? The word perfect here is probably better translated fully grown and developed. It's like a child to an adult. When you think of adults, there are no more surprises anymore. Okay. It's another suffering. I get it. You talk to older people. Most of y'all need this much. You know, I get it. That's why I think elder people who are at a good place, they've kind of accepted that. And I think that's why they laugh. They've seen so much pain. What's causing the laughter? <laughs> That's a witness. They're more developed. Um, there's a humility at the trials and temptations that they're multivariated. Nothing really surprises them anymore. There's an awareness that if they just wait through this test, they will endure, and there's something more whole that will come to completion. It's the wise son. That's what James is getting us ready for. The wise son in uh, Proverbs. Going back on that, the wise son waits. He's not rushing to the next thing. He's not lacking anything. Um, He's a witness who is wise. 
which leads to verse 5, where he says, if any of you falls short of this wisdom, now here he's assuming, he's already kind of set everything up for you. He's also assuming that not all of us have done this great, you know, in, you know, in a great way. So he says, okay, great. This, remember, I'm talking to you at the table. And what he's now going to say is, if any of you falls short of this wisdom, this skill, well, great, let him ask God, who gives openly to all without approach and will be given to him. And what he's saying here is that he's tapping into a few books of the Proverbs where he's about to break his audience up into the fools and those who are naive. So if you remember the book of Proverbs, it's written by a father to a naive son to ask for wisdom so that he will not end up like the fool who ignores it. And Lady Wisdom calls out to youth and to those who listen to her, and she's saying to you, turn to my words. Lady Folly doesn't work. She just only draws its already right there. And so the point of this chapter is that you will immediately recall Proverbs 2, 3 through 6, that if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek her like silver, search it for it like hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of God and you'll understand the knowledge, of, the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So when God gives good things, what James is saying, he gives without scorning them. I think this is the thing that is exactly what the fool or the doubting man has a hard time with or the double-souled man. Is that do you believe that when you ask God, he's willing to give you good things? Or do you believe that he has uh, mental reservation if you were to ask him? Or do you believe that he's going to grumble if you were to ask him? And this is kind of the problem with shame, right? Or or pride. It's because let's talk a little bit about shame here. Is that shame often will cut ourselves off into thinking that God will give us good gifts. You know, that's the thing about shame. It's so interesting. I've often seen it, even clinically. It's kind of a form of narcissism. Because what you're doing is that you're assuming that your words about yourself are more profound than what God says about you. But it looks humble. It looks humble. But actually, it's extremely prideful. Because it's a serious effect of mind reading. God can never love me. God can never love me. God can love me. Okay, all right, all right. Have you even asked what God says about you? No. Why? Because we're taking our own words about our own selves at a higher value than what God says about us. It's actually pride. And when you reframe it that way, God, forgive us for shame. (laughs) That's actually kind of freeing when you think about that because many of us can be so captivated by shame. I'm not talking about guilt. Guilt's, guilt can be good. God, I've messed up. I um, Help me. I mean, that's the thing about marriages I've often realized. People that actually get better, the marriages that get better really fast, they're like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I've been married for 25 years. I, I, nothing I do works. And I watch them, and they're both at that place. They're just like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I, don't, I don't know. I need your help. Peter, I need your help. I'm thinking of a couple in particular, and I'm like, well, I think you're criticizing a little too much. I think you're getting too defensive. I think, okay, and they're like, oh, really? Yeah, okay, and they're taking all these notes. Those, those couples are fine. They're like two months. They're, they're fine. I mean, they really are. I mean, these are people in their 60s. 
Like, yeah, let's use a little less criticism, use more I statements. Oh, really? I use too much criticism? Okay, yeah, bam. They're, they're, they get better just like that. I've seen addicts, people who are addicted. I, my life's in shambles. I, I need help. God, I'm, I, I need help. They go to a meeting, AA meeting, whatever it is. They get a sponsor. Man, they get really good. That's good. And James is saying, yeah, be there. Ask God for wisdom. Shame is different. Shame is just like, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. He's, she makes me mad. She makes me miserable. It's always this. or it's, it's, it's this. Look at myself. Look at how bad of a person I am. But you're not curious. Because every time I try to make a recommendation, you're like, oh, no, no. She doesn't do this, this, or this. Or, or but I'm so bad, I can never do it. You're not curious. not receiving anything. That, they don't really get better. So where are you? <laughs> and ask your that. And so what God is saying here is like, do you believe that, that when you ask God, that he's going to give all good gifts freely? Or are you kind of like, well, uh, I don't know. Are you the double-minded man? Which leads to my final point. Beware of this two-souled man. But let him ask of faith. <laughs> a strong confidence in, not pausing or being unsure for being uncertain, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and moved by the wind. So going back on Proverbs here. The word here, wave, it's really kind of interesting because he uses a, there are two different waves in the New Testament. And you, anybody here has been near the ocean, you can follow it really well. One, one type of wave is just the kind of wave that we see like in a 72 to your, you know, degree day on, we're just kind of laying in the ocean and the waves are just kind of like coming and they're splashing on your body in a very predictable way. It's very lovely. It's very, you know, I love that. Um, my kids will just lay and they'll feel the waves coming on their body. It's like this giant horizontal wave, seems. That's not the wave that James is talking about here. Those are good waves, okay? And so, have you ever been on a, to the ocean on a stormy day? Because there's a different Greek word here. It's those unpredictable waves that just come and just surprise you. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like on a really rainy, just a rainy day, all of a sudden a wave just kind of comes up. Which actually makes sense because if you're a sailor... That's exactly, those are the waves that you're always most careful of because they could crash the ship. You never know what's going to happen. That's the double-souled man. He's being tossed to and fro, back and forth. He never knows where it's going to be, where it's just driven by the wind. Um, the picture here is not, again, Maeve wounding and height and crashing on the shore, but a swell of the sea. That's the double-minded person. Um, this is the doubter. It's not somebody that never doubts. It's the doubter not possessing what? An anchor for the soul in Hebrews 6.19. He does not pray to God with a consistency and sincerity of purpose. There's a doubt on whether or not God can really give me those good things if I were to ask him. Um, Again, doubt. Um, It's really interesting because Abraham, Paul says, did not waver through unbelief considering the promise of God. But when you think of Abraham, you can think of multiple times that Abraham was not always the best example. So what does Paul mean? Um, At the end of the day, it's like a marathon. And so a marathon, if you take that approach, every time you fall, every time you face a temptation or fall into temptation, every time you face a trial or fall into multiple trials where you don't feel like you are getting anywhere, Go back to God and ask for the wisdom again and again and again so that you can endure. And when you don't have that approach, 
you just look at trials and temptations as just kind of um, ways to just work on yourself without God, and then all of a sudden are surprised when your life is in shambles, and then try to use your same approach that you've been using for the past 20 or 30 years that have not been working, I think that's why James is saying that person must not expect anything good that's going to come to God, from God. Because even the good gifts that God has given him or her are seen in a way that at the end of the day, I can't even receive them well. Um, And he has a duality of his own nature. And so the conclusion is all this. Instead of the doubter who'll find his prayers um, unanswered or uh, because he's unstable in all of his ways, um, even if he gets, even if he got his prayers answered, he wouldn't even be able to see it that they were from God. And so, what he says in conclusion of this, he wants us to be blessed in the way that we are to persevere under these trials. In verse twelve, because when he has stood the test, he is going to receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And so. I just want to say here that James' overall purpose in all of this is really to encourage you to endure trials faithfully so that you may receive the reward that God has promised you. We have a difficulty with rewards. We often will object that our obedience to Christ should be pure and disinterested, unmotivated by any such crass consideration of future reward. I get that. But... Rather than asking, what is it for me? We are to contemplate on the ultimate reward, not just in heaven, but here even on earth. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Asking God for that wisdom over and over and over again. Having joy in these circumstances. Why? Because it's going to produce the very thing that God says it's going to produce, which is more fortitude than before. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your, your wisdom, and we just pray that you would grant us your mercy, and we pray that you would help us live out your gospel in our lives. In your great name, amen. If you would, turn to your hymnal. Um, forgive me. I, here it is. Okay. We are going to finish the closing hymn 40, um, Be Thou My Vision. Great 
receive God's uh, benediction. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Uh, If you would, for a postlude song, 528, Lord be glorified. Thank you.